Well, good morning. It's good to be with you guys today. And I do pray that you have a thankful heart and a thankful spirit, and that that kind of moves out into your actions, right? Um, in preparation for this event that we're doing on the on today, at and Tuesday and next Saturday, the 14th, 16th, and 20th, called Give a Thanksgiving. I was out yesterday buying some things for that, and um, in just a little while after I finished the sermon, so please excuse me after I finish, I'm going to exit out this door, because I've got to get to Green Valley Church and help them, because that packing kind of event starts at noon, and so I'm going to be doing that. But I was buying a few things for that to put in these boxes and give to folks to assure that they have a happy Thanksgiving and a Thanksgiving meal to share with their, with their families. And I started to think about all the things that I've been given, right? I started thinking about all the things and all of the generosity that has been kind of directed right at me. And guys, I, I've been given like a lot. It's, it's almost embarrassing. Like it's, it's humbling because sometimes it's like I've been given so much by people that it's like, man, I don't kind of came like some of you men, you can kind of get with me on this when it's like somebody gives something to you and your family and it's like wait a minute you don't think I could take care of my family (laughs) it's like wait a minute what do you and it's almost like we don't want to accept it right we don't want to accept it I've been given three vehicles three uh the first one a guy at our church was when I was younger I was about 30 at our church and he had an extra truck laying around that he didn't use. And he said, pastor needs a second car. He's always running around with his wife trading off these cars. I'll give this truck to the pastor. So he gave that truck to me, and I drove that around. And uh, we had a lot of fun in that stupid little thing. And uh, it, was, it was fun. We had a lot of fun in that. Abused it, I think, is what we did to it, me and my, my kids. And then later on, we were part of a church up in the high desert, and we were pastoring that church. And somebody visited our church, and uh, they went to one of the board members, and they said, hey, what? Which car is the pastor's out in the, in the, uh, in the parking lot? And uh, one of the board members that he was talking to said, oh, it's the brown and yellow Ford with the dented up rear end on both sides. Oh. He said, well, my, and the guy said, well, my car is that, uh, it was just 2007 was the year. He said, well, my car is the 2003 G- GMC Yukon in the driveway. And he said, what if the pastor takes that off my hands? We just give that to you. And the pastor has that. And they were like, well, you're coming to church today to give a vehicle to the pastor. He said, I just felt like it's the right thing to do. We just felt like God wants to come here today and give this to the pastor. And by the looks of that truck in the parking lot, he needs it. (laughs) So then that was given to us. And then uh, we enjoyed that for several years. And then when Susan got in her accident about a year and a half ago, Again, somebody came and said, hey, have you replaced the vehicle? No, not yet. She can't drive, so why spend the money on a new one yet, right? And then he goes, well, let me take care of that for her. And so he bought that vehicle for her. And it's like God, is just, he just gives us. And, you know, we are full-time in ministry at the church. And so it's like everything, every dollar I spend is because somebody has given that dollar, right? And it's like, it's kind of a weird thing to think. About. So I had to kind of talk myself off this little ledge yesterday <laughs> when I was coming out of the grocery store and into my car. I'm thinking, I'm going into this car that has been given to us, and every dollar that I spend, the money that I just spent in there is money that somebody gave to the church, and this is, it's all just because of giving. I have because people give. 
and somebody else is going to have because I've chosen to give. And it's all about giving. And I thought my whole life, my whole life, I've given. I mean, I've, I've, I've been given things. And it's, it's kind of weird. So I had to t- remind myself, wait a minute, I do work. <laughs> this, is, this is my job. I have, you know, gone and did educational stuff and, and did that. But it was kind of a moment for me. And then the Lord was challenging me saying, are you grateful or do you feel entitled? Hmm. Interesting, right? Because we live in a world that's very entitled. Very entitled. And some things, it's like, well, wait a minute. That's, you have to give that to me because I deserve that. I'm entitled to that. And it's like, what kind of attitude do we have this season concerning the things that you and I have? The money that you have in your bank account the clothes that you're wearing right now, this building. You know, this building is the byproduct of somebody giving. Everything here, every single thing, every blade of grass, <laughs> every light bulb, every, everything around here is because people gave. And so, do we deserve it? Do you deserve it? I don't know. <laughs> but God has seen fit, and people have seen fit that we have this to enjoy. And it's interesting that at this point in the church, I don't think that there's, I don't think there's anybody here that was here in the 90s when the extension was made, or in 1956 when the church was founded in what's now the fellowship hall was the sanctuary. And so all that we have is because given. Even I would think that where you find yourself today in life, regardless of the material things, let's step aside from money and buildings and those kinds of things, and let's think about where you are as a, as, a, as a person with character, your character development, your spiritual development, your, your maturity as, as a human being, as an adult, is probably because somebody poured into you and gave to you wisdom and insight and support and encouragement and all of those things to develop you into the type of person that would even be interested in giving, right? And so I want us today to think about those people, people that have poured into your life, either with physical needs that, that, that they've met, maybe even thinking about your tithes and offerings and your contributions to the church, the fact that we could still keep the lights on and we can still do things around here because you've chosen to give. And the minute you stop giving them is the minute this stuff start, stops happening. And because you're giving, we have money in the bank. And during this whole pandemic, almost two years now, our giving really hasn't dropped off at all. When the average church has lost about a third of its income, you guys have kept giving. We're doing pretty good. You know, it gets a little tight. <laughs> and it gets a little uh-oh when, when bigger bills come than we, we anticipate. And when the city comes and says, hey, take care of that palm tree out there. <laughs> and it's like, ah, more money. And the city comes and says this and that. You know, but I want us to think about saying thank you to those people. And I want to start off with a, with a group of folks that maybe you weren't quite so thankful for in the first place <laughs> when they first started pouring into your life. And I want to talk to you this morning about saying thank you to faithful friends, because that's what we're talking about this whole fall is faithful friends, both being thankful for them and learning how to be a better one, right? 
And I want you to start out by thinking about this special group of people. Say thank you to friends who hurt your feelings by telling you the truth. Oh, no. So these people that you're like, you were so mad at, you were so angry at, you wanted to cancel, you probably hung up on them. Do we still do? Like hanging up has lost its effectiveness, right? It used to be you could slam the phone down. What do you do now? Jam your finger into the, like it, you know? And me and my wife, we have this little joke. We say, hey, did you hear that? Hey, tell me what this sounds like. Hang up the phone. (laughs) I know, she did that to me this week. She goes, hold on a second. Tell me what this sounds like. And then she was gone. I was like, oh, she got me again. Because I actually like leaned in to listen. I was like, oh, she got me. But telling the truth, this group of people. And I would imagine that at some point in some part of your world, before you became a Christian, before you started following Christ, somebody came into your life and said, you know, you're not perfect. What? (laughs) Somebody came into your life and said, you know, you've offended God by your actions and your attitudes and the internal parts of who you are. Your heart has offended God. Your mind has offended God. Your actions have offended God. Somebody actually loved you enough to came and said, you know, you're you're not as perfect as you think you are, and there's some things that need to be cleaned up in your life, and this issue called sin. And you started thinking about that, and you started thinking, man, I, I haven't done some things wrong. I do have some things going on in my life that, you know, I read the Bible, and I go, well, that shouldn't be, or just your own conscience tells you that shouldn't be. But somebody loved you enough to come and sit into your life and say, hey, there's some things going on in your world that aren't right. And as you begin to follow Jesus, you probably... From time to time, if you're a normal human being, you probably started to go off track a little bit. You started to veer off course. You started to make some poor decisions in your life. And somebody came into your world and stood in front of you and said, you know, you really need to stop doing that. You know, that's really bad for you. That's wrong. You shouldn't do that. And I know we live in a culture that the response to that is, how dare you judge me, right? And how dare you tell me that I'm wrong? How dare you tell me that I shouldn't be or shouldn't or must or all these things? But there's a group of people in your life that have loved you enough in the past and maybe even the future. Maybe some of you right now are going through a few things that some of you right now are actually maybe have some tense relationships. That there's some people in your life that you're mad at that you're not really talking to today. That if the phone rang and it had their name on the caller ID, you're like, nah, reject. I don't know. Maybe you've unfriended people in your social media feeds. Maybe you, or maybe you don't have any of that, but you, you still like look through the little peephole at your door because if somebody actually should show up at your house, you pick it through, nope, quiet. Right? So maybe, maybe there's some things. But can you right now in this moment of your life think about people that maybe there's some tense moments and can you say, God, thank you for those that have hurt my feelings and told me the truth. They've loved me enough, knowing that I was going to get mad at them, knowing that I would probably reject them, that they came anyway and they spoke truth into my life. Notice Proverbs 27, verse 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The King James, if you like that version, says it this way, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Deceitful. You know, somebody that tells you that you're right all the time is probably lying to you. Because you know, and I know, I know that I'm not always right. You know that you're not always right, but how dare you tell me in the moment that I'm not? 
Would anybody in the room ever say that they're perfect? No. But yet, so if I come to you or somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know what? That's not, that's not good. You need to change that in your life. Oh, well, how? Or you know you're not the perfect employee, but you go in for your six-month review and maybe you get some must-improves. How dare you? Because we, we, we kind of know this, that we're not perfect, but we don't want anybody to point it out. <laughs> maybe still we should start saying thankful, thank you to those that have. I think that you'll begin to feel some relief in your life, some movement in your life. You know, you don't have to have this guard up of being perfect all the time. You can let that guard down, and you can let people love you and come into your life and help you to grow and help you to mature and help you to move forward, help you to get closer to Jesus, help you to get closer to the person that you want to be and closer to the person that God wants you to be. Amen? Amen. Part of a Part of any leadership position, be it a pastor or anything else, is to help people do what they don't want to do to become who they want to become. Did you catch that? I probably should have wrote that down and put it on the screen. I'm sorry I didn't do that. But I learned that lesson through coaching. But I was always making my players mad at me by having them do this drill and that drill and run this and run that. I had to do things that they don't want to do to get them to be the people that they want to do, want to be, right? And so often... We have to do that for each other. I know that those of you that have raised children, you've done that. You've done things that your children didn't want you to do to get your children to be the people that you want them to be and that they want to be. And I think true friends do that. And so maybe we should take one of those cards that I gave you last week. And if you were here last week, many of you took four or five of these with you. The ushers passed them out. If not, there's some, I think there's still some left on the back table. But you can take these cards, and these cards says, I am thankful for you. I am thankful that God my life and on the back you can write the reasons why and maybe some of you should write down thank you for hurting my feelings and then they will remember right they'll remember even if it was five years ago 10 years ago 20 years ago thank you for hurting my feelings back there because I'm a better person because of it you didn't lie to me right and so another person that you might want to say thank you to during this Thanksgiving season is this thank you to friends who don't grow weary of doing good (laughs) you ever grow weary of doing good you ever get tired of helping people Okay, I'm going to admit that I do. <laughs> and you're like, you're not supposed to say that. You're the pastor. Well, no, I, I do. I do get tired. And you, I'll just be very transparent. You know the people that I get tired of trying to help the most? Those that agree with me and then don't, don't follow through. Those are the most frustrating. Because they're sitting there with me. I challenge them. and They say, I agree, pastor. I'm going to go to work on that. I'm going to do that. I check in with them and they haven't done it. And they don't do it. And I'm like, what? just stop asking for my advice. <laughs> just stop. I'm tired. I'll go move on to someone that's going to, or just tell me you think I'm crazy. Say, Pastor, I disagree with that. I'm not going to do that piece of advice. Okay, great. That's awesome. I don't get tired of that. I would much rather have you think that I am weird, wrong, unbiblical, and just outright crazy and say, Pastor, you, no, I'm not doing that. Okay. That's, that's fine. That's fine. You are free to keep coming to me for advice. Now, you may not want to anymore. You may say, every time I go to that guy, he gives me the stupidest advice I've ever heard in my entire life. I, I, you would get tired of coming to me. And that's okay. And that's okay, too. 
So saying thank you to friends who don't grow weary of doing good. Notice, as we look at the end of Paul's, a lot of Paul's letters, what he does is he starts getting very personal. So he does this kind of thing at the beginning of his letters where he's, he's personal, he's talking about their prayer, and then a lot of times he gets theological and, and kind of goes into teaching mode, and then at the end of his letters he gets personal again. And at the end of a lot of his letters, he's saying thank you to the people that have partnered with him in ministry, people that have meant things to him and helped him during these times in his ministry. And at the end of Galatians, he's talking about these people that don't grow weary. He says this in chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So then, when we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are in the household of faith, so especially those that are in the church. Especially those. And you know, a couple people came to me over this last week and a half and said, Pastor, I don't know about some of these things that we do at church. Some of it like, doesn't make sense to me. Some of it's like, I try to jump in and it doesn't like, make sense. And, and I said, well... But what does make sense? Well, these things over here. And I said, well, then jump in on those and do those. Because guess what? I don't know everything that goes on. I don't understand fully everything that goes on here either. And that might come to another shock to you. If you ever have a pastor that says he understands fully everything going on in his church, he's either got a church of one or two people or he's lying. Because there's so much that goes on around here that I'm like, well, I've got to trust my other leaders. Especially when you think about Pastor Gallo doing a Spanish ministry, right? Ah, there's cultural things there that I don't understand. There's language barriers. And there's things I just go, Pastor Gallo, you, I trust you. Go for it. <laughs> I wouldn't know. <laughs> so go for it. Things with the buildings. And Richard, Wes, and Joe, and these guys. And they're, they're like, if they report to me, hey, we're going to fix this, this, and that. I mean, I don't. Just tell Stephanie how much it costs. And if we got the money, do it. I and half the time I show up and things have broken and gotten fixed. And I'm like, oh, look at that. Didn't even know it was broken. <laughs> but we're taking care of each other. We're doing things. And I know. I know you're tired. I actually <laughs> had to be reminded by my wife. She, says, she said, Paul, you know, you've been full-time at the church for only a little while. And since February, I've gotten to focus just on the church, you know having graduated with a degree and no longer teaching at a, public high, at a Christian high school, I'm now just focused on the church. We'll see. My temptation is to work just as long and hard and, as I was with two jobs and a degree. Well, guess what? If I do that, I'm going to be constantly telling you guys to do things. More ideas, more events, more this, more that. And Susan's like, hey, everybody else, it's now flipped. <laughs> All these people that you keep asking to do things all have full-time jobs and families and things. And she said, you got to calm down. I'm like, oh, okay, you're right. Because I can't, like, burn you guys out, right? And I know that we live in a season that majority of people, we're more tired than we were because the world is so negative right now, right? I told someone, I said, you know, the goal of the news is to make you mad at the other group. <laughs> that's, that's the goal. So you watch CNN, they want to make you mad at the people who watch Fox, and Fox wants to make you mad at the people that watch CNN. So it's like, they want to make you mad. And like, everybody's stirring up your anger. You should be more angry. You should be more this, more that. And I think that we're, we're getting tired of that. 
and where I think there's a general tiredness in our culture, a general weariness. Some even have slipped into a general depression. But yet, are these, like in Galatians, that I know you're tired, but you keep serving and you keep giving. I know you're mentally and emotionally exhausted, but you keep pouring into lives around you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Without you, we, we, don't, we don't have anything going on here at all. This just becomes an empty building. But because even when you're tired, you're giving, you're serving, and you're working, you're making phone calls, you're texting people, you're encouraging people when you're discouraged, all those things, you deserve a thanks for that. A third group of people are those that we should say, say thank you to our friends who devoted themselves to service in the church. Now this is a similar group, so we're just going to move quickly through this one. In 1 Corinthians 16, 15 through 18, he says this, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanas were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Now be subject to such as these and to every follow, fellow worker and laborer, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanas and for that person, for a bunch of other people that I can't pronounce, because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. Now, those that have devoted themselves to the church, those are saints. You guys ministering one, one to another. This isn't, this isn't pastors ministering to people in the, in the congregation. No. This is congregational member ministering to congregational member. These are you. This is all about you. Paul, as the leader, is looking at how people are ministering to one another, and he's saying, this is great. You guys have done this. And then he's also saying, thank you for those of you that have made up for the absence of others. Some of you that have stepped into gaps. When someone leaves, you fill the gap. When someone gets sick, you fill the gap. When someone is struggling, you fill the gap. And wherever someone is missing, wherever someone has dropped the ball, wherever someone has stopped, wherever someone has quit, you fill the gap. A recent survey of pastors across the country um, that I watched a little thing on yesterday from churchanswers.com, and they do all this research. 52% of pastors want to quit. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Some side research that 25 percent of the workforce wants to quit or find another job right now they're so frustrated and then pastors 52 so pastors double the average worker huh wow why because of the steep decline in the people the gaps that are now created the gaps by people quitting and people moving on and people leaving and people stopping well now pastors are filling these gaps and they're like i'm just i can't anymore 52 percent of them i think i might be done amazing that's and so no wonder paul in this passage says thank you for those that make up for the absence of others oh they're not here anymore okay i'll step in oh they quit okay i'll step in oh they i don't know where they are (laughs) and you guys just keep stepping in and stepping up and serving and i want to say thank you to that another one is to say thank you to the friends who share in your trouble isn't that interesting people that come alongside you and they show care and concern for the things that you're cared and concerned about. They step aside from their own things and they join you in yours. 
It's not that they don't have pain in their life. It's not that they don't have trouble in their life. But they're setting theirs aside and joining you in yours because that's how much they love you. Notice what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived my con- your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, absence and need. Absence and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And so Paul says, hey, if I don't have food, I'm good. If I have food, I'm good. But you've shared in my trouble. You've joined me when I've had needs. And he says, I'm really good, but thank you. Do you see that that's not an entitlement? It's not a, well, I had a need and you better meet it. It's kind of like that old song. And if you're younger, maybe you don't know this song, and I'm not going to sing it. But you know that song says, when I, when I say I love you, you say you better. Anybody? I see some of you. It's clicking in some of your brains. And you're like, wow, what a rude song. When I say I love you, you say you better. I think that describes our culture. Instead of saying thank you or I love you too, it's, well, you better. Here's a gift. Happy birthday, Nina, by the way. It was her birthday yesterday. And I, know, I told her this why I said, there's somebody else's birthday too this weekend and I'm forgetting. If it's you, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> I am terrible, but I just, there's somebody else's birthday this weekend. Um, and then there's a third, there's, there's a third that I just know who it is and I feel really bad that I can't hang out with her today. But it's Heather's birthday today. So there's three people that have birthdays this week and one of you is getting forgotten and I feel really bad. But Nina... And Heather, happy birthday to you. And uh, Heather's serving over there, my lovely daughter-in-law. Um, I'm sure I'll get her some bubblegum tape. Oh, by the way, if you guys, like, love Heather, just buy her bubblegum tape, those little pink, like, things of the bubblegum. And what she does is she opens, and I, I know I should, like, not talk about this, but she opens it like this, and she just takes a massive bite out of it. She doesn't, like, pull it. She just bites it. And I don't, but... Flood her with bubblegum tape. She will like have, she'll be your best friend forever. Uh, that's how I, that's, that's why she likes her father-in-law because I just bought her bubblegum tape. <laughs> let's, let's finish this up. The next one is this. Let's say thank you to friends who partner with you when no one else will. Boy, what a powerful people in your life. No one would help you. You, you needed help and you're, can you help me? No. Can you help me? No. Can you help me? No, no, no. Family wouldn't help you. Church people wouldn't help you. Pastor wouldn't help you. No one would help you. And then came the friend <laughs> that helped you. This is as you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Well, they had good reason to because Paul was running around killing Christians. So when he became one, you would think they weren't going to trust him very much, right? So the Philippians were like, okay, maybe he used to kill us. Hmm. No one else is helping him? And they jumped in, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. Notice he's not entitled but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so Paul said, thank you for helping me when no one else would. 